you have a plan and start executing one step at a time. And every single day, it would feel like you haven't accomplished much, but they do add up really, really fast. Promise. I promise you that happens. Welcome to the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. My name is Kerwin Donis. My brothers and I got into real estate investing to achieve financial freedom and help underserved communities in Guatemala, where our mom is from. Real estate is the vehicle we're taking to achieve our goals. And you can too. On this show, we share the stories of some of the most successful real estate investors to show you that you can succeed in real estate just like they have. Each episode, we deliver inspiring and educational content that will empower you to launch your real estate investing career and achieve your financial goals. Let's go. Rajneesh Jha was an engineer for Fortune 500 companies for 20 years. An avid student of the stock market and personal finance, he started investing in low-cost mutual funds to achieve financial freedom in 10 years. Then, he discovered real estate and shifted his strategy, building a portfolio of small multifamily properties. He founded Big League Capital, a multifamily syndication firm that helps other investors invest in real estate. For the past 20 years, Rajneesh has been working with companies like Kmart, Johnson & Johnson, Walgreens, and more. But four years ago, he came across multifamily real estate. I have been pursuing the path of financial independence for a while. Um, and I uh, lived a simple lifestyle, um, saved, invested, and that was my path to uh, FI, financial independence. But um, sometime um, along the line, I stumbled upon multifamily real estate and uh, <clears throat> the math was amazing. And I was like, is this for real? Can this really work? Uh, it seems like better than stock market investing in every, every facet possible. So I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to dip my toes in the water. And then I bought my first triplex and not very far from where I live in Pennsylvania. And, and while well, I worked, I'm like, okay. So next year I doubled down on it. And so I bought a duplex and a fourplex together and that worked too. And then the year after I, I kind of reached and bought a 20 plex um, uh, in Ohio. So it's about eight hours uh, drive uh, from where I live. And these are, mind you, these are all my personal investments. These are not syndicated deals. Uh, so between uh, my, you know, stock market investments and my real estate uh, investments, I felt comfortable, and the cash flow was enough uh, for me to declare myself financially independent. So I did that last year. Uh, hung up my boots, corporate boots, and since then I am um, a businessman, an entrepreneur. So. I had the visions of, you know, laying around um, in Hawaii, sipping martinis all day long or Mai Tai or whatever is your, you know, poison. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, soon after um, I attained my goal, I realized that I'm, I'm, I, I need to set another goal. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So since then, um, um uh, my two business partners in the real estate space and I have been collaborating and we um, we have started uh, work on the syndication side. We're still looking for our first deal. Uh, got closed a couple of times. And on the other hand, um, I am also looking to purchase small business uh, acquisitions for cash flow. So um, 
that's on the professional side. On the personal side, um, I am married 20 years, two kids, live in Pennsylvania. Um, as I say, law-abiding, tax-paying, God-fearing person. In the past, Rajneesh has invested in the stock market. Of course, investing in the stock market is different from investing in real estate. Imagine you have x-axis and y-axis, and on the x-axis, as you go from left to right, your risk tolerance increases. The investment asset classes become riskier and riskier. And on y-axis, as you go from down to up, your returns go up. So think about low and down, you stuffing your money in the mattress somewhere. <laughs> and then as you go further out, it you know on x-axis and it increases your returns a little bit, your checking account, your saving account, your money market account, your bonds, uh, your mutual fund, your large cap stock, your mid cap stock, you can't see my hand, and your uh, small cap stock. And, and it, as the riskiness of the investment goes up, so do the returns. And after that comes real estate, if you ask me. And within real estate, there are multiple uh, you know, classes. My favorite class is multifamily real estate. And before we started recording, you and I were talking about single family versus multifamily. So with that said, now I will uh, share my perspective of how is this different from stock market investing. Um, so first of all, uh, stock market investing is you're really passive, like 100% passive. It doesn't get more passive than that. Uh, so that's a plus. The second thing is that um, you should still know what you're doing. If you follow uh, the herd, you can get slaughtered. Um, so I studied and uh, read upon a lot of literature and books, and I settled down upon a boring but predictable philosophy of diversified index funds, and I would do dollar cost averaging. Every paycheck, boom, 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 no thought process. And once in a year, I will um, I will balance it. And we can talk about that if you have questions about that approach. And I did good. I did good. Uh, there are people who did better than me, but there are people who did worse than me too. Uh, so this is good. Real estate, my personal favorite asset class so far is better than stock market in my mind because it's more predictable. I like my asset classes to be where, you know, I can go and actually check and touch and smell and fondle the building, uh, which you cannot do with the zeros and ones in the uh, stock market. Um, it is very tax efficient. Um, it is more predictable, if you ask me. Uh, regardless of boom and bust cycle, people will need a roof over their heads. Um, the uh, fact of the matter is, as our population increases, more and more people will find themselves uh, looking to rent apartments. A, for choice, because the new generation doesn't want to be tied down to a place and doesn't want to commit to a 30-year mortgage. And B, because it's becoming less and less affordable with time. So that's one thing that is going for the real estate investment uh, as an asset class. The other thing that is important is as our government prints money day after day, every single day, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm like, people used to be talking about Fed printing money in billions. Now we talk trillions and trillions just roll off the tongue like it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Trillion dollars is a lot of money. But what it does it do? It creates a lot of inflation. 
and it kind of screws the regular saver, but it really benefits the borrower. So if you can go in and borrow and lock in a low interest rate and buy a appreciating asset class, what that would do is if you are paying $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 in mortgage payment every month, with time, that five, ten, or fifteen thousand dollars mortgage would feel much less than it feels now. So inflation is your friend. Um, so that's another thing. Um, in the stock market investing, people talk about an acronym: SWR, safe withdrawal rate. Safe withdrawal rate means um, they did a study, uh, Monte Carlo simulations, which means, which is fancy for running tens of thousands of scenarios through a supercomputer and it spit out a number and that number was 4%. And what that means is that if you have a million dollars of invested assets in diversified funds and stock market, you could withdraw 4% of that asset year after year after year after year, inflation adjusted and you should not run out of funds, 4%, okay? On the real estate side, it does not take a lot, especially on the personal investment side, to get 12% cash on cash returns. Even if you are an LP and you are investing in somebody else's deal as a passive investor, it won't surprise me if you get 12, 13, 14, 15% IRR. So 4% SWR, 12% cash on cash, tax inefficient, tax efficient. Um, you don't control the boards and the CEOs of the company that make the decision for you, you have a lot of control over the property management company, the insurance company, all the different players who control your asset, either as a direct investor or as an LP, somebody else is doing it for you. Um, the impact of inflation, there are a lot of tailwinds, there are a lot of things that are working for you. Uh, of course, just like anything else, you should know what you're doing. So you should read up, you should be educated, you should listen to podcasts such as yours um, and then make uh, an investment. And if you don't have time to do that, then invest with somebody who does that for a living. Um, a shameless plug like Big, like Big League Capital, uh, we do that. Um, but uh, long answer short, um, this is why I like real estate as an investment class. Coming from a background of stock market investing, Rajneesh had some misbeliefs about real estate. He was afraid he'd have to maintain the property himself and was also concerned with other common concerns regarding real estate. There were two stages of my growth as a real estate professional. The first stage was when I was like, it's not for me, it's toilets, termites and tenants. I can't deal with them. It's going to be a mess. What if the property falls over, burns down, somebody steals it, sues me. Um, and I was nervous about that investment and I hesitated. But then when I educated myself, I learned about the things. I, I, I realized that, yes, there are some risks. There are risks everywhere. The biggest risk, and I deal in cliches, Kervin, so bear with me. The biggest risk is not taking at all, not taking any risk at all. So um, risk and reward go hand in hand. Um, and uh, then I hit a phase where I, I, um, I'm a very positive and optimistic person, Corbin. Um, sometimes I'm an insufferable optimistic uh, <laughs> person in the room. Uh, so right now I feel like I don't have any limiting beliefs. 
Um, and uh, if you know what you're doing, uh, not only you can create financial independence, financial freedom for yourself faster, but at the same time, once you hit that phase, you can also create generational wealth. Um, so I appreciate your question. Um, and I can understand how some people may have that limited belief, but uh, I think um, education and knowledge can help with that. Rajneesh's first multifamily deal looked great on paper. The numbers made sense and it all looked good, but there were some red flags once he drove the property. With my first deal, I, I liked the properties which showed up nice on my spreadsheet, which penciled in great and which had high cap rates and high cash on cash rates. And, uh, you know, everything is green in my spreadsheet. So I like that. Um, and uh, at that point, unbeknownst to me, it pulled me towards C minus and D plus type of asset classes. And I found myself driving through those neighborhoods and and I'm looking at these apartments and I'm like, this is this is 20% cash and cash, but I don't know who's going to live here. And uh, I uh, spent a lot of time and I, I spent, uh, you know, um, I spent my wheels going through that phase of my life and I would just look at my spreadsheet. But then I learned and I looked at probably hundreds of properties until I settled uh, on this property, uh, which was being sold by, you know, uh, two brothers. And they were, uh, one of them was a real estate broker and they had this triplex for a long time. Uh, they had an anchor tenant and I talked to them and uh, it penciled in reasonably well. The property was reasonably well. It was not very far from me and it was good. Um, and uh, then I started negotiating with them and, uh, at one point, it felt like I pushed them too far and they were about to run away from me. And I remember that day I was totally panicked. I really wanted the deal. And I was pleading with the broker like, hey, man, make it happen. Make it happen. Get some kind of counter. Um, uh, so there was this emotional roller co uh, coaster uh, with that deal. Um, but like they say, the first deal is the toughest. And with that deal under my belt, I knew what I was dealing with. Then the second deal um, and the third deal became much easier. On his first deal, there were some issues with the property management company and the residents at the property. Though he faced problems, Rajneesh was able to overcome them and he learned from the experience. In general, uh, I don't know if it is something that I need to work on, uh, but you know, property management is something that can make a bad investment a good investment and vice versa. So um, uh, the property manager that I had over there um, and my first deal was a big company. I will not name them, but um, to them, I was a small fish. And they managed hundreds, if not thousands of apartments in the area. So when I had a problem and I picked up the phone and called them, I was just a number of a long, long, long spreadsheet. I didn't get any love from them. Um, and the things that I have wanted them to do for the longest time, it never get done. It just occurred to me like, ah, they're not right for me. So just pull the trigger, rip it off as a bandit and go into the known and find another property manager. And that's something that I'd recommend not just to real estate practitioners, but to everybody. 
that you know your team is is I think more important than the asset itself. I would say that. Um, and I made the decision, and since then I have been so happy and relaxed. I hardly ever talk to that property manager. The money just keeps coming in. The the the, the typical you know, mail, mailbox money, you know, that property has become a mailbox money for me. And same thing happened with the second and third properties. Uh, that property manager sued me. Um, um, and I ended up, you know, breaking up with that person in the middle of the contract, even though I signed a 12 month contract because um, I was not happy with the decisions that they were making and the things that they were doing and the approach they were taking. So I was like, I know that I signed a 12 month contract with you, but I would rather risk legal action than let you do what you're doing for the next 10 months. So let it rip. So I was sued. I tried to uh, settle outside the court. It didn't work. I, I was sued. We went to court. I lost. I paid money, lost money, hired another property manager, very happy with my decision. I'd do it again. In, in the moment, it was painful, but I'd do it again. Um, I would say the best thing to do is like when you're in business, you cannot really know what kind of people you are doing until you have, either you have references or you have a resume so that people are gravitated towards your success because people want to deal with successful people. But in the beginning, the least you could do is have some references you know, have two or three references. And if a person cannot whip up three references for you to talk to, run, run really, really hard um, and um, ask them questions. There are so many um, um, resources on the website on bigger pockets. And, you know, you can find the resources like questions, 10 questions to ask a property manager, like such a cliche. But the fact that you're asking those questions, even though you don't know as a beginner, they will think that you know what you're doing. And they'll take you more seriously. And within six months, eight months, you'll have the rhythm. You will know what you're doing. And then you are in a much better position. So you still have to take the leap of faith. You still have to jump in. You still have to hire somebody. Um, uh, but um, if you do a couple of basic, basic things, uh, interview two or three different property managers, let all of them know that you are interviewing two or three property managers, talk to the three references, ask them what is going well for them, not going well for them, maybe bring those back into you know, your question bank and ask the next set of property managers. You become better, your property managers will get better, they will treat you more seriously and um, you know, keep talking to your property managers from time to time. Um, look at your PL. No rocket science. This is not rocket science, but you know, eventually you'll get the hang of it. Inflation has been occurring throughout the United States, impacting the price of goods and services. This economic trend has had an impact on most sectors of the economy. To stimulate the economy, the Fed has been printing money from time to time. So that increases the supply of money in the marketplace. Eventually, it trickles down to people, investors, middle class, uh, low class, high class, high income group people, not class, and people start spending. People start spending, businesses start turning profits, that money circulates, it goes to stock market, stock prices go up, incomes go up, and everybody's happier. But the flip side of that is the uh, for the same set of goods and uh, goods and services and products in the marketplace, now there are more dollars chasing those products and services, right? 
So naturally, the, the supply of money has increased. So therefore, the inflation will happen. The prices will go up, right? As the prices go up, if you are a saver, Kervin, what you're going to do is you're going to, you know, save $500 a year, $200 a year. You know, you'll probably save half of your bonus here and there, you know, and then you'll put it in the checkings account or savings account under your mattress if you're especially conservative and you're thinking that you're doing a good thing. But what happens is that just the fact that the real inflation is six, seven, eight percent, I don't know. Uh, there's a CPI index and there is an actual inflation. Actual inflation, I think, is much higher than uh, CPI, consumer price index. Um, so if, let's make up a number. Let's if if the real inflation is 6%, you know, if your money is just sitting and inflation is 6% and everything is increasing at the rate of 6%, and if your money is not doing anything, your money is doing negative 6%, you know? And if it is doing negative 6%, um in 12 years okay that money the worth of that money would be half of what it was okay so the savers would be screwed borrowers on the other hand if they have taken a loan if you buy a multifamily real estate property for a million dollars okay and you're paying i don't know twenty thousand dollars a month okay you can do the math but whatever number okay take a number you're paying twenty thousand dollars a month $10,000 a month, whatever number a month, and you're paying every month, right? Now, that $10,000 will feel like $10,000 right now. Two years from now, inflation would erode the value of the $10,000, right? So your rents would be going up, but your mortgage is still there, okay? So there would be a gap between, you know, there's a spread keeps increasing, and as a borrower, you get out ahead because in real value, in real terms, your mortgage payment is becoming less and less and less. And as a saver, if you're not careful, and if, you, if you're not investing in the right assets, your, your assets are eroding too. So uh, uh, Robert Kiyosaki um, uh, says it really, really well. You know, uh, he's not a big fan of Fed. You know, it's public knowledge. He's read books about it. And he's nervous about the future of the economy and what does it do to our future generations. So I'm really borrowing his quote. That's like, savers are screwed. Borrowers will benefit. There are multiple ways to mitigate the impacts of inflation. Average investors should reconsider being average. Here's why. Uh, <laughs> you're a fan of Robert Kiyosaki. I'm going to give you a quote from his book. There's this book like investing for poor middle class and rich people. And in the, the first page, somebody asks his rich dad the same question and say, what advice do you have for the average investor? And his response was, don't be average. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the reason he said don't be average is because like average investor is not making the right choices. They are investing in depreciating assets. So they buy a home and they call it an asset. And I believe people should buy home. I believe they should raise their families here with love and care and nurturing their children, the next generation. But please, for God's sake, don't call it an asset. Um, many people don't know that. Like many people are like, okay, I just bought a Tesla and that's such an asset. No, it's not. It's a liability because 
the definition of asset is something that puts money in your pocket. So over a period of time, if you build an army of assets, you're free, you're wealthy. Um, and the definition of liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. So um, the I think the it's <laughs> uh, it, it's a it's a, it's a, you've asked a big question. Uh, so let's just say, so let's just say your average investor is not educated. The first thing that I would ask the average investor to do is educate themselves. But I say that with humility, okay? And with a lot of respect and love and, and learn about what kind of investments would get you ahead and what kind of investments that are not really investments and they're dragging you down. The number two thing that I'll say is have a goal about what do you want to accomplish? What do you want the money for? Um, get a proper money mindset. There are a lot of people walking around saying money is not everything. Money is the root of all evil. Money doesn't buy happiness. Like money is not everything. Uh, like it's just okay, fine. Like if you have that kind of negative mindset about money, money would not feel welcome in your pocket, and it would stay away from you. It's it's a cliche, but it's so true. So. Um, by the way, whoever says money is not everything, I ask them, like, I understand money is not everything, but can you tell me what is everything? Is oxygen everything? You know, you need water. Is water everything? No, you need oxygen. Is oxygen and water everything? No, you need food. What is everything? So, yeah, money is not everything, but that's not a fair question. Um, so you have to have the right mindset. You have to have goals. Like my goal when I was starting out and when I was still educating myself was to get financially free. And I wanted to get to a point where paid work becomes optional. And I did not know um, how will I get there, but I wanted to get there. And I told myself, no, no, money is important. Money is important. Who am I kidding? Um, you need to have a balanced view of your life, your friends and family and health and community and society. Yes, yes, yes. But don't, don't uh, throw a shit on money. And then the other thing is like, once I have this goal, once I have the mindset, then I have to decide how do I do that? At that point, I didn't have the knowledge about uh, real estate. So I taught myself on stock market investing, which in my mind is kind of slower and more passive way to get about financial independence, but it's a way. It'll get you there eventually. You'll get there a little slower, but you will get there. Um, and then um, I feel like, as you become more and more secure in your financial um, perspective, uh, your net worth, and you feel uh, bolder and you feel uh, more comfortable, then ideally your ability to take well-calculated, better risks should increase. You should not throw money at bad investments. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that when you are starting out and you want to invest just pick a number. That number is so relative. Like if you want to invest $10,000 in a <clears throat> uh, speculative investment, you would not do that. And that's fine. But sometime along the line, you would not worry so much about buying $10,000 of Bitcoins if that's your thing, right? And then I would say, uh, teach yourself about taxes because taxes take a big out of uh, bite out of your investments. Uh, then I would say um, you should network with really, really high caliber people. Um, they say that you are an average of the five people you hang out most with. That's really true. It's not lip service. Um, and 
as you progress in your financial journey forward, maybe, and when you're feeling comfortable, maybe you can think about doing something more uh, bolder and um, rewarding. Uh, so you've done stock market investing, great. What about real estate investing? Can you do that? You did that, very good, great. What's next? Do you want to syndicate? Can you do that? <coughs> Excellent, have you done that? Okay, great. What about next? Can you buy a franchise? Can you do that? Yes, okay, so, so on and so forth. So life is a journey and it's a journey on all the dimensions. It's a journey in the dimension of health and wealth and what you are doing to your community, your spirituality. So I would say Rajneesh now understands the importance of vetting every partner before you work with them. Although he's faced some hurdles along his journey, they have taught him a lot that have made him a better investor overall. If I could go back in time, the only thing that I will change is um, associate with better people um, than I did in the past. Uh, maybe I was just uh, you know, hopeful that things will work out with this person. Um, rather than doing my due diligence and researching on them. Uh, uh, I talked about how we should, you know, check references, ask them questions, see if they are a good fit or not, interview at least three people for the same job. And then you see if you want to associate with that person. And the fact that I got sued and I lost some money in the short term is, um, you know, the rite of passage, you know, <laughs> it's okay. If you don't make mistakes, uh, how will you learn from them? Um, that's something I would say. Uh, and yes, one more thing that I learned is that when you know that a certain business associate is not right for you, don't fret, don't pause, don't dilly-dally, cut your ties, cut your ties. And, and just find somebody else. Don't have this fear psychosis paralyze you and don't tell yourself to make peace with the suboptimal relationship and suboptimal results. That's very damaging. So these are some of the things that I learned. At first, Rajneesh aimed to reach financial independence in 10 years. Now, as a multifamily investor, he's been able to compress that timeline. So when I started my journey towards financial independence, now my goal was to attain that in 10 years. 10 years is a long time, but still there is an end at the, you know, at the end of the uh, tunnel. Uh, but when I um, started investing in multifamily real estate, that turbocharged my journey to FIRE, uh, financial independence, entirely. And uh, I quit my day job um, and transitioned into a full-time business role uh, spring of last year. Uh, Another thing that I'd tell your listeners, I know you didn't ask me that question, is that anytime you do that, you'd be at the peak of your earning power. Anytime you quit a job, okay? Because your earning goes up like this. You know, with time, you make more and more money. Uh, you pick up a promotion or two along the way, inflation adjusted, whatever. Your income increases with time. So anytime you do that, it will be at the peak of your earning power. So don't let that stop you, if that's what you want. Um, and... Uh, uh, real estate helped me because um, I feel like at a very, very conservative uh, level, um, the fact that you can, you know, get 12% cash on cash or, you know, about that or slightly higher IRR from a syndicated LP type of investments, whereas on the stock market side, it's only 4% SWR. You can see, do your own math, like 
if it doesn't 3x your journey, it can at least do 2x your journey, even if you're super conservative. Um, at this point, I would say that um, I am happy with what I did. Uh, COVID was a little tough. Um, I still made money. I think that I would have made uh, about 10% more money than I did in the year of COVID. But the fact that uh, at the peak of the global pandemic, if that's all that happens to me, if that's my floor, I'm very grateful uh, to the to God. Um, it looks better and brighter as I go forward. Um, on the real estate side, I am collaborating with two really fine, uh, motivated, talented, honest, high integrity individ individuals. Um, and we're looking for syndication deals. And on the other side, I'm also looking to purchase um, a small business, uh, just another way to add more assets to your portfolio. Um, the end game is that um, I have some really big, hairy, ambitious, big fat goals. Um, and I am um, uh, on my journey. Um, the journey has treated me well so far. Um, and um, uh, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very happy with my decision. Aiming high is important to Rajneesh. He sets lofty goals in order to push himself, and he's committed to achieving them so he can support the initiatives he's passionate about. I'll tell you this. They say that if you tell somebody your goals and they don't laugh in your face, your goals are not bold enough. So you will laugh. <laughs> I can't promise you that. Um, my real, yeah, my real goals uh, are in terms of a substantial amount of money that I want to donate to a charity of my choice before I die. Um, and um, I, I have a size of uh, the portfolio, a thousand units, all the multi-family side um, through uh, GPing or through my personal investments. And on the small business side, I have the goal of acquiring properties, uh, sorry, acquiring small businesses and lumping them together together into portfolio and selling them for higher multiples. So, uh, but uh, I'm miles to go before I sleep. Uh, there's a lot of work to do, but I appreciate the question. I do have big lofty goals. Rajni shared a ton of value during our conversation. He left us with some key takeaways that will make you a better investor. I would say that if you have to distill it in a couple of bullet points. I would say have really big, bold goals, visualize them, believe them that they are there for you, there for you, you can take them. The second is that you have a plan and start uh, executing one step at a time. And every single day, it would feel like you haven't accomplished much, but they do add up really, really fast. Promise, I promise you that happens. And the third thing that I would say is that, um, you know, many people would tell you that treat others as you want to be treated yourself. There is more wisdom hidden in this golden rule than you can ever imagine. Um, so if you're not a spiritual person, if you don't believe in this, just believe in this. Like if you do good to others and if you help other people, it will come back. And if you don't, then that would come back too. So if I have to leave you with these three things, I'll say vision, 
execution, golden rule. To learn more about Rajneesh, here's where you can go to find out more. You can find me on my website, bigleague-capital.com, big league as in uh, baseball. Um, and my email address is raj at bigleague-capital.com. You, I'll, I'll give you my direct phone number, okay? I'm open book. 267-551-0529. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. If you got value from this episode, please do us a favor and give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Make sure to visit our website at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash monopoly, where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you'll never miss a show. If you want to avoid the top five mistakes passive investors make, you can also check out our free ebook by going to www.donisinvestmentgroup.com and downloading it. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. Until then, take care, guys. Take care, guys.